The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. If you could take your Bibles, turn in them to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. It will be the account of Lord Jesus on the night that he's betrayed, also him praying in the garden. And we're also going to spend some time in uh, the book of Psalms. And so we're going to hear Jesus pray, uh, as he does in the garden, but we'll also hear some of the Psalms, the prayers that he prays uh, for us. Well, let's start with three questions, and then we'll end with the same three questions. We won't answer them up front, but we'll just uh, speak them. Uh, the three questions are, who are you? And uh, why are you here, and what do you want? Those, are, I think, are good questions to ask as you come to Holy Week. So why are you here? Uh, who are you? And what do you expect to receive? To come to worship to ask those questions. Uh, God asking you, who are you, and why are you here, and what do you want? To come to the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus asking, who are you, and why are you here, and what do you want? And even in prayer. Uh, and you hear some of these questions as Jesus is praying. You know, the Father saying, who are you? And why are you here? And what do you want? In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of how to read really all the scriptures. And he says there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. With regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? In in Christ. And as we read the gospel, you'll hear these festival terms. Day of unleavened bread, Passover, uh, first fruits. And the Apostle Paul is telling us that when you look at the scriptures, you look at all of them as pointing to the person and the work of Jesus. And so as we will read the text, you will hear uh, words like uh, Passover. But associated with that uh, is Exodus. And when we hear those now, seeing that all of these things, uh, those are just shadows pointing to the reality of Christ, then we will begin to understand uh, how everything points to Christ and everything leads out from Christ, uh, especially in this holy of weeks. And so they're shadows. And for us to have that, that background. Now, uh, Jesus is trying to share this with his disciples because on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he reveals himself to them. And Moses and Elijah are there and they begin to talk with him. Did you ever wonder, you know, I uh, wish it was written down what they, were, what they were talking about? Well, Luke tells us. In Luke chapter 9, verses 30 to 31... It says this, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor with Jesus, and they were talking to one another. And what were they talking about? They were talking about his departure. Or the Greek word there literally is his exodus. His exodus. In other words, if you thought that exodus was the real, uh, the reality, Jesus is saying, no, that was just a shadow. The reality is Christ, crucified, dead, and risen, and Passover, Exodus, all speak about that. Paul tells us this in Corinthians. He says, Christ is our 
He's our Passover lamb. And then he says he's risen on what, what festival? On the festival of first fruits, which, which means that when you have the first fruits, you're tempted to keep them to yourself. Uh, but you're to give them to the Lord with the promise that what? More will come. So when Christ is raised, the first fruits of the resurrection, it's the promise that when we die, more will come. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And so those shadows, those realities are there. And in reading the Psalms, you'll see them as well. Now, um, the beautiful thing about this is that when you read, um, these things are pictures for us. Pictures of um, this celebration. And so when you sing Exodus songs and when you sing Passover songs, uh, you're singing about deliverance, aren't you? And you're also singing about your, your baptism. Your baptism. So let's look at some of these uh, images um, in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas The one who would betray him said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Ever kind of wonder what that hymn might have been? Well, if you understand the festival um, Psalms, the, they call them the Hallel Psalms. What, what word do you get from Hallel? Halle, hallelujah. And so the pilgrims during all the feast would make it a point to sing these Psalms. Psalms 113 through 118. And so before the Passover, they would sing Psalm 113, 114. And then after the Passover celebration, they would sing 115 through So when it says, when they had sung a hymn, then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, they're singing these these songs, these Exodus songs. Now, whenever you're singing, again, as uh, we understand it in Christ, whenever you sing about Passover or whenever you sing about Exodus, you're singing about Christ Jesus and him crucified. In fact, you're singing about your 
your baptism as well. In fact, just for fun sometimes, uh, to help your children understand what their baptism means, take them to the Exodus story, specifically the crossing of the Red Sea, and then sing to them or read to them Exodus 15, and in place of the sea, speak about baptism. The horse and rider you have thrown into the sea. Exodus is a bringing out to bring you in, a freeing uh, from slavery. And isn't that what baptism really is, isn't it? The horse and rider you have thrown into the sea. You renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways. There they are, old man drowned into the sea. So you sing these psalms. Now, to give you a little picture of this uh, throughout this, the rest of our time, turn to the book of Psalms and we'll, we'll, we'll follow along as Jesus would be singing these songs, um, not only during the Passover, but also as he prays. So if you look at Psalm 116, imagine the picture that Jesus has now celebrated the Passover, instituted the Lord's Supper, has full understanding of knowledge of what's going to happen with Judas. And all of the disciples are not yet quite understanding this death and dying, but they will soon desert him. Jesus seems to be the only one in this context understanding the totality and the reality of what's behind 116. But the disciples are what? This is just one more wonderful celebration of Passover. They don't quite understand the passion that will follow. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. If you can just replace uh, the speaker with the Lord Jesus, I think we'll understand. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I have said, I am greatly afflicted, And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. And then verses 12, 13, and 14. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I think if you read it from that context, you'll see that Jesus is trying to explain that all of this that is about to happen is about him. He says, I lift up this cup of salvation. Now the cup in the Psalms, specifically in the Old Testament, can have this dual meaning of a cup of blessing, uh, which means it has gone well. What blessing God has given to me. Or it can be the cup of wrath or God's punishment. So in Psalm 16, it says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. That's the cup of what? Cup of blessing. The 23rd Psalm, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup, what? Runneth over. My cup 
overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You have this other aspect of it, the cup of wrath in Jeremiah 25. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And when they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. And Isaiah speaking, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. See, I've taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. And so in the Gospels, when Jesus talks about the cup, this is what he's referring to. He says to his disciples, you don't know what you are asking. Can you, can you drink this cup? A few moments we're going to read where Jesus asks the Father, if there's any other way to remove, to take this cup from me. He tells Peter, put the sword away. I must drink the cup that has been, been given to me. In Isaiah chapter 53, as we move through Passion Week, especially as you come tomorrow, you will see this suffering of Christ. In Isaiah 53, it speaks basically of of the the threefold. Two of these we participate with Christ. The third one we really don't have a concept of. But two of them, the emotional suffering and the physical suffering, we all, I think, all can relate. Isaiah's words is, he was rejected by men and despised by them. Can you relate to that? Despised and rejected by men? Emotionally. They're all going to desert him. How about physically? A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. You experience that. But the third one, which you will hear about tomorrow, you, not in totality, will understand. Only Christ does. Stricken by God, smitten by him, and and afflicted. Not us, but him. He took up our infirmities. He was stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But does Christ know all of these different um, modes of suffering? Absolutely. Now, if we have that in mind, now I think we can understand a little bit about his praying in Gethsemane. So, back to the Gospel. Matthew chapter 26. There are three phrases that I think we can summarize uh, his prayer in Gethsemane under. I'll read the text first, and then we'll talk about each one. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled, And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he says, stay here, watch and pray. Um, Let's put this in the category of the prayer of a brother. Our brother in the flesh, the Lord Jesus. The book of Hebrews speaks of Jesus as being of the same family, not ashamed to call us brothers. And in Hebrews chapter um, 5, it says these words, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with what? With loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Here's our brother in the garden. With loud cries and tears, offering up prayers to his father. And he's heard. Doesn't look like he's heard, but he's heard because of his reverent submission. He continues, he says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Our brother stands there as our high priest praying for us. Now, What would he be praying? This is where, if we could go to the book of Psalms. So Psalms would be in the middle of your Bibles, if you were to open them. Go to two places, Psalm 6 and Psalm 88. And if we do um, believe that what Jesus said to the Emmaus Road disciples is true, that he opened their minds to see that all of the scriptures, the Psalms, the prophets, and the law of Moses speak of him, we can apply then even the Psalms as the words of Jesus. Our brother, either praying with us, or we listening to him pray for us, or the church praying to him. But I think if we were to go into the Psalms and ask the question, Jesus praying in the garden, what would he be praying? I think these two Psalms may um, have the voice of Christ. In fact, why don't we read them together? Psalm 6, and then we'll read Psalm 88. Read it as if Christ himself is praying it uh, on our behalf. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. 
The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. I think if you read that, you see the passion, don't you? At the end of it, it says, All who do evil, they will be ashamed and dismayed. They will be turned back in sudden disgrace. Isn't that Easter morning? Colossians says, you know, he made a public, public spectacle of them, the enemies, triumphing over them by the, by the cross. Our brother, he prays with us in our suffering. Psalm 88 If you look at the very last line, I think you will find the tone of it. What is the last line? You see, the darkness is my what? Closest friend. Okay? But let's read it together, Psalm 88. Again, Jesus. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me? Hide your face from me. From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. If you were to read that psalm just solely on your own, just you, it just ends in despair, doesn't it? But Christ, your brother, prays this psalm along with you, but also is the substance of the song And he says, I've suffered all the terrors of God the Father. His wrath has swept over me. I'm close to death. All day long they surround me like a flood. My companions, my friends, they're gone. You made them repulsive to me. The darkness in this moment is my closest friend. Good news is that if your brother says that, uh, you are not alone in the darkness, are you? My father... He continues, he says in his prayer, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as as you will. This is Jesus, not only our brother, but now also our Savior, accomplishing the Father's will. What would he be praying in the Psalms? Um, Two places, Psalm 31 
and Psalm 40. Psalm 31. I'll read the first portion and then I'll ask you to read uh, some other portion here. Verse 1, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. And then what words do you hear? Verse 5. Into your hands, into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Doesn't it sound like, Lord, Father, if there is a way to take this cup, take it from me. But, not my will, but your will be done. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Let's read together verses 9 and following and you'll see this passion um, that the Lord experiences uh, even in the psalm. Verse 9. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish And my years by groaning, my strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I become like broken pottery, for I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me. And plot to take my life. Is this happening during this this week? Plotting to take his life? Turn to Psalm 40. He's again praying and saying, Father, if there is some way, yet not my way, but your will be done. Psalm 40, let's read uh, together through verse, uh, verse 8. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Now verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said... Here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Our Savior in this garden, saying, Father, your will, your will be done. Now, interesting to note, if you read the rest of the psalm, it may give you a little thought to pause, but if we can explain it, I think we will understand. Verse 11, it says, again, if you have Jesus praying this, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. 
May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Maybe taken back a little bit and said, well, wait a minute, that, that, that can't be Jesus praying that. Well, if we understand in this Holy Week that the one who knew no sin becomes sin for us, now what is he doing? He is praying this as all of our sins are placed on him. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Isn't that what the essence of tomorrow is? The one who knew no sin takes all of God's wrath upon himself. God says, I'm going to punish you and in exchange for that, I'm going to extend all of my love and my grace and my mercy. So his brother, he is um, also our savior. But there is a sense of triumphant um, resolve even in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. You notice how it ends. After praying, he's gone to his disciples. They've been sleeping and sleeping and sleeping. And what does he say to them as the last phrase? Rise, let us go. Here comes my... So uh, let me ask you just this, this question. Who's in control of everything that is happening here? They're not coming to take him, to drag him away. He's leading the way. He is the king. And everything is turned upside down. So when it looks like you know, they're pushing him to the cross, really he is leading the way to the cross. These are prayers of a king or to the king in Psalm 20 to 21. So if you can maybe keep this in mind, that come Easter, start to come to the point where you can read these prayers, Psalm 20 and 21. Think of it as the king is going out to war and the congregation is praying for the success of the king, the people of Israel. Who is the king? Jesus. Now let's read Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 with this idea that the church is praying for their king as he goes out to war for victory and they will celebrate it. And so we'll insert some um, phrases here to help understand the context. So let's read it together. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. Let's make the you Jesus. May the Lord, may God the Father, may the Lord answer you, Jesus, when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you, Jesus. Now, may he, verse 2, may this God and Father send you, Jesus, help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Now, this is where verses 4, 5, and 6, I think, the ego has to get out of the way. Because whenever I used to read this psalm, it was about, may, he, may God give me the desires of my heart. But if you read it about the church praying for the king going out to war, it makes perfect sense. So, let me insert it this way. May he, Father, give you, Lord Jesus, the desire of your heart and make all of your plans succeed, Lord Jesus. We, the congregation, will shout for joy when you are victorious. We will lift up our banners in the name of our God. And may the Lord grant 
all of your requests. Jesus is praying in the garden for us. And what is the desire of his heart? It's us. May the Father give you the desire of your heart, Lord Jesus. Verse 6, the congregation says, Now I know that the Lord, God, Father, saves his... Who's his anointed? It's Jesus. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. This is going to end in victory. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. O Lord, do what? Save the king. Monday, Thursday, the congregation praying. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Now verse 21. O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories you give. Easter morning. You have granted him the desires of his heart, have not withheld the request of his lips. You welcomed him with rich blessings. You placed a crown of pure gold on his head. What did he ask for? He asked you for life, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. We go to the tomb with the women, and they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has is risen. The three questions. Who are you? Why are you here? And what do you want? Let's begin with maybe the father asking that of Jesus. Who are you? In this garden, why are you here and what do you want? You can say, I am, I'm the one who's made flesh, the Son of God, your Son made flesh. I am here as brother, as Savior, and King for your creation. And what do you want? I want, I want your will to be done, Father. I want your will to be done. Why are you here this evening? Why are you here Monday, Thursday, Good Friday? Easter. Why are you here as you come forward to the Lord's Supper? I think those are some good answers. Why are you here? Who are you? Who are you? I am the sinner that that sin is placed on Christ. That's who I am. Why are you here? Well, you invited me to come. This is your supper, your table. What do you want? Well, if you're a sinner and you want to come forward to the Lord's Supper, and Jesus has invited you, the answer is, I want what you have to give to me, which is the forgiveness of sins. And where you have the forgiveness of sins, you have all the other gifts, don't you? Life and salvation. I think those are some good questions. We're going to close with a time of confession. And we're going to do it this way, using a song. And I invite you to sing it along. Um, and I think it answers this question quite well. Why are you here? And then we're going to have the celebration of the Lord's Supper. After that time, we're then going to strip the altar. And so um, we'll have a slow, reverent time together, and it will symbolize that this brother of ours is being stripped, humbling himself, going to the cross, and being placed upon him will be our sin um, and anticipation then that when you return on Easter, the good news will be that the king has gone forward and that his father has granted him the desire of his heart, which is you and I and the salvation that comes with it.
Let's uh, close with the Lord's Prayer together. Um, Then let's use the song, Just As I Am, as a time of confession and preparation for the Lord's Supper. We pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.